Reading of God's holy word this evening comes from Ephesians chapter 5. Would you please turn there with me in your pew Bibles? Over the last couple months or so, we've been um, looking at a sermonic theme, which I suppose could be called uh, godly submission in everyday life. Godly submission in everyday life. Um, Looking at the various um, aspects of life or categories of life in which God calls us either to submit to some authority or in which we are called to be in authority. Calvin has said that submission is a universal requirement. All of us, whatever place we are in life, uh, experience some sort of either authority or submission to those that God has placed in authority over us. Uh, We looked at um, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and we discovered that uh, all believers are called to willingly and joyfully submit to the caretakers of our souls, those whom God has placed in authority over us in the church, elders and ministers. And we're to do that, the writer to the Hebrews says, for Christ's sake. In our second sermon, we looked at Peter's first epistle, a very difficult, challenging passage Uh, that calls us to patient submission to every form of authority, human authority, whether in government or in business. Again, we're called to submit for the Lord's sake. Well, tonight we're going to look at one of the most important types of relationships in which there is both submission and authority exercised, and that is the institution of marriage. And Scripture calls wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands are also called to submit to Christ and to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And one of the most famous passages where that relationship is explained is here in Ephesians 5. So I'm going to begin reading here at verse 22, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. This is God's holy word. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We're going to end the reading of God's holy instruction for us here tonight. 
Many of you know that I write a small column in the Fellowship Is um, church newsletter. Uh, it's an Ask the Pastor column. There's a box out in the foyer table there where you can write any question that you might think of, and I will do my best at least to try to answer that question. One of the questions that I received in that box a couple months ago was this question, what is the biblical basis for the idea that a husband has authority over his wife? And I enjoyed answering that question, at least in part, because it's a very crucial question. It's perhaps an especially important question today because of our culture's desperate attempts to try to erase all categories of gender, all categories of authority in our society. I hardly have to tell you that our society is desperately trying to undermine, undercut the biblical view of manhood and womanhood, especially in the context of marriage. We live in an age of great sexual confusion, but as believers, we are tremendously blessed because God's holy Word has spoken clearly. Uh, It's spoken decisively and wisely about how husbands and wives should relate to one another in the covenant bond of marriage. And there are a number of passages throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that we could go to to answer that question about what is the relationship between husbands and wives to look like. If you have a a pen and paper in front of you, here are a few you could jot down. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, a wonderful passage to go to. Titus 2 verse 5 is another very good passage. Tonight we're going to look at Ephesians 5, 22 and following, which is perhaps the most famous passage of Scripture that lays out the roles of husbands and wives. And the first thing we need to notice from this passage is that Paul sets out a divine pattern for marriage, a divine pattern for how husbands and wives are to relate to one another. And regarding wives, Paul gives this Spirit-inspired instruction. He says first in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And Paul repeats that instruction almost verbatim in Colossians 3.18. Notice, first of all, that Paul's instructions set out God's pattern for marriage. He instructs wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Now, notice what he does not say. Paul does not say that wives should submit to their husbands because their husbands are superior in every way. He does not say, wives, submit to your husbands because they are wiser, they are more intelligent, they are more gifted than you are. Husbands, if we are honest, we have to admit that very often that is not the case. Very often our wives demonstrate that they are more gifted than we are, that they are more intelligent than we are, certainly far more attractive than we are. No, wives ought to submit to their husbands for the Lord's sake. Because this is the divine pattern, this is the the authority submission structure that God has designed so that marriage might be a godly and a productive 
and an enjoyable institution. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband, on the other hand, we notice, is called to a role of leadership. He's called to a role of headship. Look at verses 23 and following. Paul says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Paul says the, the husband is the head of his wife. And what is that headship? Entail. Well, that headship means that the, the husband exercises God-given leadership or authority in the home to lead, to protect, to provide for his household. Now, I must be clear here. This headship should not be exercised as if a husband were the dictator of his home. Paul does not say that the husband is Christ in his home. The husband is not a little Christ in the home. Paul doesn't say that the husband's, the husband's authority is ultimate. No, only Christ's Word is of ultimate authority. But wives cannot obey Christ unless they submit to their husbands. And the rest of Paul's instructions here, which we're going to look at very shortly, he reveals that, in fact, husbands have a very high calling from Christ to whom they must submit. Husbands must be uh, able and willing to love their wives, even be willing to die for their wives, which is a sacrificial leadership modeled by Jesus Christ Himself. But the bottom line here that Paul wants us to understand, first and foremost, is that in God's kind providence, He's given a definite shape. He's given a specific structure to the covenantal union of marriage. And in that relationship, husbands are called to loving leadership and devoted headship. Wives, on the other hand, are, are called by God to submit joyfully to this leadership by respecting their husbands, by building them up, by supporting their husbands through the use of their own special gifts. No man is a perfect leader, very far from it. But a wife's gentle spirit, her trusting heart, her supportive care of the family, those are the the means that God uses to equip men, husbands, to fulfill their authoritative role in the household. They are to submit as to the Lord following His divine pattern for godly marriage. And the last thing we need to notice about this divine pattern is that it comes to us from God's hand as a blessing, not as a curse. There are some who think that this headship and submission structure or pattern in marriage is a result of the fall into sin. Now, of course, we recognize that sin ruins and it distorts and it sometimes complicates the roles of husbands and wives in marriage, but we must not be unclear about this. Sin did not create this pattern for godly marriage. Sin did not put wives in a position of submission to their husbands. 
No, it is God in His perfect wisdom who has determined that a well-ordered, godly marriage gives stability not only to the home but to all of human society. And things do not generally go well for us when we try to thwart that divine pattern. A badly ordered marriage in which there are regularly quarrels and fights about who is in control, in which spouses don't play their part, in which there is no fear of God, no submission to His will. A badly ordered marriage can only result in a husband and a wife being miserable and their children being discouraged and lost. In God's kind providence, His good providential care for us, He's given a definite shape, a structure to the covenantal union of marriage. And it's for His glory, but it's also for our good. The second thing we notice is that this divine structure of wives submitting to their husbands, husbands exercising headship or authority over their wives, it's a reflection of God's character. Notice that the apostles' instructions about authority and submission in marriage, they're not just a reflection of Paul's first century social environment or his, his cultural context. There are some uh, even in so-called Reformed churches that have tried to make that argument. That Paul, oh, he's just speaking as a first century Jewish male living in a patriarchal society in which this is all that he knew about the relationship between husbands and wives. But notice, these passages don't represent an earthly or human blueprint for marriage. These instructions are rooted, they're founded in the very character, the very nature of God Himself, which does not change. Notice at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul begins this chapter with a call to the believers to whom he's writing. He says to them, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. And everything that Paul goes on to say after that is an example of how the believers to whom he writes are to be imitators of God Himself. And so the, the interplay, the relationship between authority and submission in marriage reflects the relationship between God the Father and Christ His Son. Another good passage to go to when dealing with this question is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 and following. And there we read this, the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Now, you might be wondering, as you just heard me read those words, how is God the Father the head of Christ? Aren't they equal in their divinity? As regards their, their nature, their essence, aren't they equal? Yes, they are. But God the Father and God the Son still play distinct functions or roles in securing our redemption, in making our salvation a reality. 
And so Christ, when He came to earth, when He took on human flesh, a genuine human nature, He willingly submitted. He lived under the will of His Father, His head, when He came to earth to accomplish our salvation. He came and He willingly obeyed the Father's will. He came and He humbled Himself even to death on the cross. And His obedience to the will of His Father reflects the perfect relationship, the harmonious relationship that exists among the three persons of the Holy Trinity. Christ's submission to God the Father was for the eternal saving good of His beloved bride. And so when Christ came to earth as our Savior, He didn't come to dismantle God's original created order which involves loving headship and willing submission. He came to earth to restore it from the effects of sin. Jesus came to earth to redeem and to change sinful husbands so that their headship is exercised not as a right to control or to dominate, but to love like Christ by laying down their lives for their wives. Jesus came to redeem and change sinful wives so that their submission to their husbands is not coerced and fearful or insincere, but free and willing and joyful and dedicated and glorifying to God. You see, when husbands seek to imitate Christ by submitting to His righteous rule over the Christian home, and when wives willingly submit to their husbands as the God-appointed leaders of their families, that divine model reflects the glory of God, reflects His very character, and results in Christian homes that are, are truly healthy and happy and pleasing to Him. But finally, the Apostle Paul declares that what makes the institution of marriage so wonderful is that it stands for something far greater than itself. Paul says that marriage between a man and a woman is all about the gospel. It's all about Christ's love for His beloved bride, the church. The amazing thing that Paul goes on to say here in the last part of this section of Ephesians 5 is that God has established the same order between husband and wife as He has in the church. We saw this already in verse 24 when uh, Paul lays out uh, requirements for wives. Now, as the church submits to Christ, he says, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Paul says, wives, in your submission, you display a core attitude of the church in its relationship to its Savior, Jesus. How does the church relate to Christ? The church loves Christ. The church submits to Christ. The church should never fight with Christ or seek to undermine His will. The church 
rejoices, it, it glories in the goodness of Christ. It finds great satisfaction in serving Him according to God's will. And Paul says, in the same way, for Christ's sake, wives should submit to their husbands, just as the church willingly, joyfully submits to Christ. The same comparison is made for husbands. Husbands, Paul says, ought to imitate Christ in their love for their wives. And what did Christ do for His bride? He did not hesitate for a moment to lay down His own life. Look at me at verses 25 through 27. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, you are called to reflect the gospel by modeling the self-sacrificing love of Christ in your home. God's Word calls you to, to give yourself up for your wives. And how in certain contexts, in certain ages, that may have meant literally giving up your life for the protection and preservation of your family. In our context, that certainly means giving up our energy. Husbands, giving up your time, giving up your freedom in order to meet the needs of your wife and your family. It may mean uh, stepping away from some of your hobbies for a while, not giving so much time and energy to sports. It will certainly mean the kind of authority that takes the form of humble service. It takes the form of a very practical way of service caring for the sick kids all night, putting on the apron from time to time, and doing the dishes when your wife just doesn't have any strength left after a hard day. It may take the form of staying in the TV room and rubbing your wife's feet, even though that warm bed is calling your name. Modeling the gospel means desiring husbands to wash your wife in the Word of Christ, just as Christ washes the church by His cleansing blood so that she might be pure and holy and beautiful. Husbands, you must lead your family in the Word of Christ at the home around the dinner table. You must lead them here to worship. You should not have to be dragged by your family off the couch to come to evening worship. You must lead them into the sanctuary to hear the Word of Christ. You must see to it that the Word of Christ saturates conversation at home. And just as Christ gently washes His church to cleanse her and to correct her, husbands, correct your wives gently as if you were caring for your own bodies. Look at what 
Paul says here in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. Husbands, not a single one of us looks in the mirror and spies a blemish on our body and then immediately thinks of taking the drastic measure of cutting it off. No, we try to cure that blemish gently, patiently, safely. We ought to do the same with our wives. We ought to speak to them in in gentle and friendly and patient tones out of a concern for her faith, out of a concern for her holiness. Paul in Colossians 3.19 says, husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. And husbands, be worthy of the respect that God commands your wives to show you. There will be no willing submission on the part of a wife if she does not respect her husband. And so, husbands, we are called to be worthy of honor and respect. The bottom line, Paul says, is that all of us, husband or wife, must love as Christ has loved us. And that's why he concludes this section by saying something especially marvelous about marriage and its connection to the gospel. And he begins this section, verses 31 and following, by quoting from Genesis 2.24 where God instituted marriage in the first place. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul says this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul says, the intimate union of a husband and wife, it's more than just a great human love story. It represents something far greater, something far more magnificent and important. He says that the fusing of a man and a woman to become one flesh in marriage It's a mystery. What does Paul mean by a mystery? Some of you might think, well, I've been married for decades. My wife is still a mystery to me. I still don't understand some of the things that she thinks and does. Husbands, this is not a proof text for going to your wife and complaining that she's a mystery to you. The union of marriage is a mystery, or better translated, it is a secret because its deepest meaning Its deepest significance was partially concealed until Christ came to earth. But once He came, and once He laid down His life for the sake of His bride, that meaning that was partially concealed is now openly revealed, and the meaning is this, that marriage is an image of Christ and His church, Paul says, it refers to Christ and His church. It's all about that. A godly marriage in which wives willingly and joyfully submit to their husbands. A marriage in which husbands love their wives even more than themselves. 
That's a metaphor. It's an image. It's a picture. It's a parable that stands for the relationship between Christ and the church. It's a living drama that's on display in every godly home of how Christ loves His bride and how His bride loves Him and submits to Him. A godly marriage is an emblem of the gospel. It's a picture of Christ's immense love for His people, His desire to be in intimate union with His bride. It's a beautiful reminder that God made us for that kind of communion with Him. And when that communion was broken because of sin, God did everything necessary, even giving up His own Son up to the submission of death on the cross. God did everything necessary to cleanse us, His bride, so that His church can enjoy restored communion with Him, a communion that will last throughout all eternity when we enter the marriage supper of the Lamb and to give us a tangible glimpse of how great God's love is for us in Jesus. He gave us the gift of marriage, and He made earthly marriage in the image of His own eternal marriage with His people. Brothers and sisters, these are challenging instructions, but glorious ones as well. And the promise to us when we willingly follow God's pattern for marriage when wives lovingly submit to their husbands in everything, when husbands gently love and care for their wives. This pattern designed for God's glory and and our good, when we hold to that pattern, the promise of God in Revelation 21 holds true for all of us. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What a wonderful promise, an everlasting promise for those who put their hope in Jesus Christ and follow his divine pattern for this marvelous institution of marriage. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we are so thankful for the marvelous gift of the intimate union between a godly man and a godly woman. We're so grateful that you have in your good providence made earthly marriage in the image of your own eternal marriage with your people. We thank You that though Your bride, Your church, has many times throughout history departed from You and been unfaithful to You, You were a patient and a faithful husband. 
and you provided everything necessary to draw your bride home, to cleanse her of her sin, to wash her clean, and to present her to yourself as a beautiful bride. And Lord, we claim this promise that one day you will be united once again for eternity with your bride. And we will enjoy eternal life, the blessedness of life before your throne in perfect harmony where no death or destruction is found. We pray now, Lord, as we continue to live out our earthly lives here before your return, that our marriages would also reflect that peace and that harmony that relationship that you have established with your church, that wives would faithfully and diligently, for your sake, submit to their husbands, that husbands would love their wives, care for them gently, correct them patiently, giving up their lives for their brides. And Lord, may our church and all faithful churches reflect the beauty and the harmony that you have designed and promised for your people. Help us in this, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.